Okay, starting in Matthew 22, verse 1, we read this. And, G- and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day that we can spend in worship and fellowship and in hearing the word preached and exposited. Lord, I pray that you would give us this day open hearts and open minds that we would hear and understand this passage and that we would apply it to our lives. God, I pray for the children who will remain in the church service today. And I also pray, Lord, for those who are going to go to Sunday school. May they be blessed, be with their teachers and bless them as well be with the families, and I pray, Father, that this will be the beginning of something that will allow families time to worship and to teach and to discuss what was said here in the chapel on Sundays. So, Lord, be with Jackie as he brings us the word this morning, and we thank you for your many blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Preschool through second grade are dismissed. Okay, Matthew chapter 22, we're still looking at um, Jesus speaking in parables to those same people we talked about in the last couple of weeks, the idea, right, that Jesus, as he comes to the temple, he comes expecting fruit, and finding no fruit, he cleanses the temple, and then uh, the the, uh, scribes and the Pharisees want to know, by what authority... Who said you could do this? Who put you in charge? Uh, Who died and made you king? Right? You guys have all heard those sayings before. So if you remember, Jesus says, well, you answer a question for me, and I'll answer a question for you. John the Baptist, who's anointing? What power did he come in? Was it just men or God? And they perceived, right? Well, if we tell them the truth, 
He's going to ask us, why didn't we obey him? So the, the reality in that statement shows that those leaders understood the truth and were rejecting the truth. Truth didn't matter. What mattered was their position, their own authority, their place, and that's all they could think about. It's all they care about. So they are, they say, well, we can't really say. You remember? So Jesus is going to speak to them in several parables. The first parable was a parable of repentance. Remember, a father came to his two sons. He asked one son to go to work in the field, and the son said, no, I don't want to do that. But later on, he changed his mind, and he went. And the second son, the father went to and said, go to work in the field. And the second son said, okay, but never did it. And he asked them, which one did the will of his father? And they understood the first one. And the first one is a representation of those people who had, in so much as prior to Jesus coming, rejected the law, didn't want to obey, didn't want to live for God, were called by repentance in John's ministry, and then their hearts were prepared to hear the message Jesus gave. So tax collectors, prostitutes, people in the street, the poor, they were coming to him gladly. But those who had initially made the proclamation, we'll do whatever you want, Lord, they were not doing the will of the Father. You see the picture? He goes on to a second parable, a parable of rejection. And he says, the owner of a vineyard. Remember the owner of a vineyard? And he's let that vineyard out. He's given it into the hands of others to care for. And when it came time for him to receive the fruit, he sent his servants, but they beat him. So he sent more servants and they killed them. And he sent, finally he said, I'll send my son. And the owners of the vineyard said, well, this is the end. Let's take him and kill him and then we get the vineyard. It's all ours. So Jesus asked them, what will the owner of the vineyard do? And out of their own mouth, they make the proclamation, right? He's going to destroy those men, take that vineyard away and give it to another. Today we see a third parable to the same group of religious leadership. This one is a parable about invitation and response. So it is both about rejection and reception. Just as the other um, parables, you have someone coming to the story who is expecting something, a certain response, but that response isn't given. And just like the other parable, something is taken away and given to another. So we're seeing Jesus lay out these teachings before the religious leadership that ultimately are coming to a place where they're going to reject him. And all of this from chapter 21 all the way to the end of the book. This is all building up to his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, and the establishment of what would become the ecclesia, the church, the gathering of believers. And so Jesus is making this proclamation so that they would see what was coming. Later on, you're going to have disciples standing before these same guys. And what will they say of those disciples? Hey, weren't these guys with Jesus? 
Later on, they're going to give this charge. Aren't these the ones who have turned the whole world upside down? Aren't these the ones? And in that, if you look at from the Gospels through the book of Acts, what you'll see is these parables coming true, being lived out in the hearts and the lives of the people in Israel first and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this is this parable that Jesus gives. Now he starts this parable as he has many other sayings. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, you heard that phrase before, right? The kingdom of heaven is like, if it, was, it is an incredible study, a very beneficial study to just go back through the gospel of Matthew and look up all the references to the kingdom of heaven is like. And read those stories. Read those comparisons, those parables, those metaphors. And understand the painting that is being uh, uh, depicted. The landscape that Jesus is putting forward in the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's a beautiful picture to consider. But in this one, our focus is on the king's son. It says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out and meet him. We're going to read those words in a couple of weeks. Oh, a couple months, we probably should say. Eventually. In Revelation chapter 19... Um, Revelation chapter 19, we're, we're looking at the, the battle of Armageddon. And as we look at the battle of Armageddon, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. So we come to the culmination, if you will, the culmination of history and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And interesting, the comparisons that we can make between the marriage supper of the Lamb and the king who made a wedding feast for his son. And the invitations that have gone out over history. And the responses that have been given, either in rejection or reception to that message. We can see all of these things laid out in this reality. As we look at this in the culmination, it says, she clothed herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now let me ask you a question. How is it that the saints do righteous deeds? So we're not doing it on our own, right? So just like Jerry was talking about earlier in the announcements, right? It's about your identity in Christ. Because our identity in Christ then enables us, compels us to to walk in the righteousness of the one in whom we have our identity. You get what I mean? It's kind of like if we picture it like um, yesterday I was hungry and I ate a brownie. Now, the brownie's identity is now in me. Wherever I go, the brownie goes, right? The brownie doesn't do its own thing, does it? Well, if it does, we have a different problem altogether, right? If our identity is in Christ, we are in the body of Christ, 
We're abiding in him. We go where he goes. We do what he does. This is why it's so vital to understand what Jesus taught in John 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are. So a branch bears fruit because it's what? It's attached to the vine. That's how it bears fruit. It doesn't first bear fruit in order to be attached to the vine. That won't work. That doesn't work in reality. So what we want to see, what we want to see experienced in reality is being attached to the life giver, being attached to Christ, being in Christ Jesus, having our identity in him and allowing his life to flow through us. Now you begin to understand why Jesus would say, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Right? It becomes about Christ, my identity in Christ, not my identity as a pastor, my identity as a father or grandfather, my identity. Those are all things I may be called to do. But my, the source of everything else is Christ. Amen? He is that source. And so she's able to do, to make herself ready because she's standing with her identity in Christ. It's the bride waiting for the bridegroom. The picture of the wedding is beautiful. And the angel says, write this. This is still Revelation 19. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. For these words... These are the true words of God. Blessed is he who is invited. Now, when we look at this parable, we're going to see the call go out. And we're going to see a phrase we've heard repeated multiple times in the chapter previous and this chapter. And we'll, we'll, we'll see it again. And that is, many are called, but few are chosen. Now, do me a favor. Don't start with that statement and develop a theology on how to understand the story. First, understand the story, and then you will understand the statement. You get what I'm saying? We don't do things backwards. We do them frontwards. Jesus told the story first, and then he made the statement, right? So the key to understanding the statement is always in the expression of the parable, the teaching that he gave. So let's look at it. It says, begins in verse 3 with the call. So the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Now, these are people, you need to understand this. There are two invitations that went out for Israel. If you were a Jew listening to this story, you would understand this is the second invitation. The first invitation went out hey, I'm going to have a wedding and you're invited. The second invitation is, the wedding's ready. Okay, so you, like today, you have a savior date for a wedding on the, you may not get a savior date. You may get the phrase, there's a wedding coming, be ready. And then you get the invitation, the red wedding is here. Let's go. And so this is the second invitation. This call had already gone out. People were already aware that the wedding was coming, but it says they would not come. So they received the first invitation, but the second invitation, they're not coming. And he sent out other servants. 
And he said, tell those who are invited, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. So the point is, he's saying, it's time. We're, it's time to go. What do you mean they're not coming? <clears throat> I don't know if we understand the, the level of, of disrespect. It's the king. What do you mean? First off, in earthly terms, you don't usually tell the king no. If the king invites you, usually you're pretty honored to have been invited to the wedding, right? You're going to see the crown prince be wed. There's probably at least a few people my age that remember uh, Princess Di getting married. You remember the craziness of that wedding? No. Five people nod their head. Yeah, we talk. There's not many of us left anymore. So the idea, when the king invites you, you don't, you don't say, what do you mean No. It is, when they heard this story, when the Pharisees heard this story, they understand the disrespect that's being shown. And it is a high level of disrespect. You, what do you mean you're not coming? I invited you, the feast is ready, let's go, it's time. It's time for you to go. Everything's ready, the, the oxen are here, the fatted calves have been slaughtered. <clears throat> Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and the other to his business. It's like they just turned their back on him. Could you imagine doing that? They just turned their back, walk away, while the rest seized his servants, shamed them, treated them scornfully, and killed them. So let's talk about that. Who are the servants in the story? Well, the servants are the prophets. You're right. The servants are the prophets. And more than that, but primarily we, we haven't viewed the prophet, the prophets historically, but we have a specific prophet in mind. Jesus has already mentioned him earlier, right? What was his name? John the Baptist. They should all remember him, right? And it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's time. Get your hearts ready. The invitations are going out. And so you have that reality, but you also have the reality, not only is it the prophets, not only pictured in John the Baptist, but also the disciples. You remember in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, we studied this. The 12, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt. You don't charge for what you do. No bag for your journey. Two tunics, uh, or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. <clears throat> and as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace uh, come upon it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust of your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah 
than for that town. You're going to read about that in the next chapter. So I want you to see that these parables are not just happenstance. Like, oh, Jesus just randomly told a story. It all fits together with the things that are going on around them. So the servants, you have the prophets, John the Baptist, the disciples that were sent out. And then what's the response? Indifference. Who cares the kingdom of heaven? What, what king? We don't care about the king. We have no king, but you're going to hear that, aren't you? You're going to hear that. They would not come. Now, throughout Scripture, the appeal, the invitation is strong and clear. Can make no mistake. Hosea 11.1. If you've been coming on Wednesday night, we went through Hosea a little while ago. <clears throat> There's this prophecy. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I have called my son. Now, specifically, in Hosea, he's talking to the nation. Later on, that's a reference Matthew is going to point to Jesus with. It, it starts to give us the framework of pattern and prophecy. So we see this call. What is it the Lord saying? Israel's my son. The nation's my firstborn. And I've called you. I called you out of Egypt. How many times has God appealed to the nation of Israel and say, I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Over and over again. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, the Lord declares this to the nation of Israel. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You're it. You are my people. You are them. Now Amos 3.2 says, therefore I will punish you for your iniquity. You are mine. All the people in the world, if you look at the book of Amos, if you've been coming on, on Wednesday, we see a... a Every prophet has something called the Oracle of the Nations, where they throw out multiple prophecies of judgment for the whole world, nations all around the world. But all of those judgments are small, like a few verses. Well, why? Because you're outside of Israel. I haven't revealed myself to you except through the witness of my people, so I haven't given you that much. You're, you don't have the same guilt. When he comes to Israel, he's like, Pages upon, the rest of the book of Amos deals with God's problems with Israel because you're mine. You know me. In Ezekiel 16, he says, I found you as an infant cast off, unwanted from your parents, left in your own blood and birth fluids in the middle of a field. And God says, and I took care of you. And I brought you up and I made you beautiful. And I made you my bride, but you were unfaithful. This is the story that the Lord declares. I called you. You are mine. Paul would write in Romans 10, verse 21. For all of Israel, he says this. This, this verse always echoes in my mind when I, when I talk about Israel, and that is this. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. All day long. The call, the invitation, it went forward. Their apathy, their apathy was obvious. Look, they paid no attention. They, they just went off, one to his farm, the other to his business. Psalm 81, 
verse 11 and 12 says this, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. They, they wouldn't listen. They're not responding. Psalm 106, 24 and 25. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. How do we please God? You must believe he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is how we please God. By faith, we please God. But they had no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. They made light of it. They were more interested in personal profit and gain. They didn't have time for the invitation from the king. And ultimately, their attitude became hostile, right? Some of the servants they took, they beat, and ultimately they killed. Jesus would say in John 15, his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. In John 16, he goes on. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Behold, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is doing a service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They're going to respond ultimately violently. Isn't that exactly the story of Paul? Well, before Paul was Paul, when Paul was Saul, you guys know who I'm talking about? And he, he was persecuting the church thinking he was doing God a favor, right? Get rid of all these heretics, just like Jesus said, just like Jesus had told them, their attitude is going to be hostile. So what's going to happen? You remember the story of the vineyard? What's going to happen? The king was angry and he sent his troops and they destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Within 40 years of Jesus telling this story, that's going to happen. The nation of Israel will cease to exist for 2,000 years, right? One of the part of the miracle of the Jews is that they're still here. So you see this reality taking place. Matthew 21, if you remember, verse 40 and 41, we talked about last week. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let the vineyard out to other tenants. And historically, exactly what they said is what took place. Right? The Lord took it away. But you need to know this is not like something that was unforeseen. The Lord, he, he spoke through Moses to the people. You know how they love Moses, right? Moses, yeah, whatever Moses said, this is, and remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5, if you really listened to Moses, you'd be listening to me. Because Moses talked about me. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, listen to what the Lord said. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle. Interesting that Rome symbol was an eagle, right? A nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. 
And it will eat the offspring of your cattle and all the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It shall not leave you grain, wine, oil, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock, until they have caused you to perish. They will besiege you in all your towns until the high and fortified walls in which you trusted have come down throughout the land. Lord, look at this temple. Isn't it magnificent? What did Jesus say? Not one rock shall be left upon another. Not one rock. In the walls in which you trusted, they'll come down, and they shall besiege you in the towns throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. That's Deuteronomy. You know how long ago that was? That goes all the way back to Moses. Before the children of Israel come into the promised land. Before there was ever a nation. The Lord said, Those, the days would come when you're going to turn your back on me. And this is where that road leads. That's how God can prophesy that. Look, if you get on a road that's headed to a bridge and there's no bridge there and you drive off into the canyon and perish, it's not a difficult work of prophecy for me to say, hey, you're, you're on that road? You're going to crash. You get it? You're going to, that's, that road leads to destruction. And you're going to want that road. Because Jesus is going to say, right? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there are who find it. Narrow is the way that leads to salvation. And few, oh, you have those phrases again. Many, few. It's interesting how the Lord lays these things out. And Zechariah Chapter 14, verse 1 and 2 says, Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, and I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Zechariah talking about destruction of the, the nation. Now, <clears throat> remember earlier we talked about an idea that Sometimes when we look at those prophecies and we see those prophecies fulfilled in history, we also see pattern and recognize that pattern is prophecy, right? Well, you'll understand a little more about that when we get to 24, which is Christmas Day. No, I'm not doing Matthew 24 on Christmas Day. So it'll be the, day, the next Sunday after, what's that, New Year's? New Year's, that seems like a good time to start Matthew 24. So we'll be getting into that, getting into those ideas. So Matthew goes on, Jesus goes on in verse 8, and he said to his servants, Now the wedding feast is ready, but those in, who are invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And so they went out to the roads, the highways and the byways, and they invited whosoever. That's probably one of my favorite phrases. Because I am a whosoever. They went and invited everyone they could find. And those servants went to the roads. They gathered all they could find, both bad and good. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that means they, they invited people to add tattoos. 
They invited those dirty bikers, you know, the kind. <laughs> they invited all those people that didn't quite fit in. They invited people who were not good moral people. They invited prostitutes to come. They invited even the tax collectors to come be a part. They literally went to everyone. They also went to the good. You know, one of the, one of the beautiful things for me in, in, in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, and I think you really see it in, in Luke 8 when you look at the parallel account, and that is that the sower of the seed, he threw seed everywhere. It doesn't say the sower of the seed went out to sow and he saw a path, so he didn't throw any seed. And the sower of the seed went out and he saw some rocks, he didn't throw any seed. The sower went out to sow and he saw some thorns, so he didn't throw any seed. What's it say? The sower went out sowing. He's flinging seed. He's getting that seed everywhere. He's got it on the road, on the rocks, and the thorns, and in the good soil because he's not there to judge the soil. He's there to sow seed. Let him who has ears hear. Sow the seed. They went out and invited the good and the bad. So the wedding hall was filled. Luke 14 gives us a similar story, not the same story. Jesus like all good preachers, would repeat some of his illustrations. This is uh, the similar story. The invitation is going out. It's not a king and a son, but you'll see what I mean when I talk about it. It says in Luke 14, verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table heard him say these things, he said, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything's ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a field and I have to go look at it. Please let me be excused. The other said, I have five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. May I be excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. So the master of the house became angry. And said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. Go get all them people that everybody thinks shouldn't be able to come to the king's house. I am so thankful for that because I'm one of those people who could not go to the king's house. But Jesus Christ has called he has invited the servant said sir what you commanded has been done there's still room so then he says go out to the highways and the hedges and grab people get out on the the highways and the hedges that's where all them crazy gentiles are so you still need to understand in the text of this story we're still dealing with israel and we're dealing with the dregs of of the nation of israel right the the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the bad people, the good people, they, 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 some of them have time, but not all of them, right? They won't come. And then in Luke, he says, just go out on the highways and snatch up a couple Gentiles and bring them. 
Well, you have the Via de Maris, you have the Way of the Sea, where all these guys are, are buying and selling goods and traveling through Israel. <clears throat> so you go out to that highway, just snatch some people up. Trust me, if you walked up to some poor salesman trudging along with his goods and somebody grabbed him and said, you want to go to the Kings for a banquet? Yeah, for sure. I got like 700 more miles to walk. I'll be happy to go to the Kings banquet. I'm going to be stuck eating weeds on the side of the road or I can go there and have the fatted calf. Yeah, I'm in. So he compels the people to come. For I tell you, in Luke, he says, none of the men who were invited will taste. Remember what Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees? Prostitutes and tax collectors will, will eat at the table in the kingdom of God before you. Because they are rejecting their king. Now, I want you to think about that. Hold that picture in your mind. And hear Paul's words. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, not sexually immoral, not idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, not thieves or greedy or drunkards or revilers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, just in case you think that your name's not in that list, you're wrong. Because of the next phrase. You see it? And such were some of you. But what happened at the king's feast? You were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. That's what he does there. Verse 11, he goes on. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man there with no wedding garment. Now, don't, don't fall out of the story. What, what, don't feel bad for this guy. Nobody had a wedding garment before they got there. Nobody did. So he says to him, friend, how'd you get in here without a wedding garment? Right out there at the front door is this giant box full of wedding garments. I just went dredging through the the byways and the highways, snatching people up to bring them. You think they just happened to have their wedding garments with them? No, if the king did that, what did he supply? How do you get righteous from your own? Being clothed in the robe of Jesus Christ, right? Is there any other way you can come? No, you got to have that on. You have to be in Christ Jesus or you don't get into the feast. So this one, he walked up and he saw all those things and he said, I don't need that. You know anybody like that? I don't really need Jesus. I'm going to be okay. I'm a pretty good person. Uh, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. My neighbor's far worse than I am. I don't need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So he comes in without. He was speechless. Why is he speechless? Not an answer. What do you say to the king? Oh, yeah, I saw those gifts that you gave me, for, but I didn't want it. You're not going to say that. You're just going to look at him dumb. <coughs> the Bible says, in that day, 
when the unrighteous stand before God, their mouths will be stopped. Everybody thinks they got a question or I'll wait till I, I'll have it out with Jesus and I'll convince him. No, you won't. You aren't going to say anything just like this guy. Where's your robe? Because putting it on the robe was so easy. All you had to do was receive the gift that was sitting right there. You had to jump through some special hoop to grab it. And for sure, this is the one time one size really does fit all. Doesn't matter how big or how little, it's just right. To be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So the king says in verse 13 to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness and in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now all of a sudden the wedding feast is not a wedding feast anymore. huh? Because if you get thrown out of a wedding feast, you're just thrown out in the road. What's the big deal? But now to be thrown out of the wedding feast is to be in torment. To be tormented because you are separated from the feast. You are separated from all that the Lord has provided for you. The unrighteous may not enter. Now keep that in mind. The unrighteous may not enter. Who's unrighteous? Everybody. We're all unrighteous. Until we've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, right? For he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice that I might become what? The righteousness of God. So I hear the invitation is given. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever whosoever responded to the the invitation well you could have rejected it in the story there were people who did you could have rejected it you could have said no you could have said you're too busy you have too many other things to worry about your your work is too busy your family makes you too busy whatever the excuses are you don't you can turn down the invitation But those who receive the invitation, they become something special. They become the chosen. They become the chosen. And then the Lord can make this declaration because he's God. I chose you before the foundation of the world. He's God. Last I checked, you're not. So stop trying to figure that out. How did they become the chosen? They received. They received. They they took what was given. They're not, they didn't, they're not saving themselves. It's not their own righteousness and not some work. Stop it. I'm gonna make it as simple as I can for you. And you're not going to find this one because it's not on the notes. So flip over to Ephesians. Chapter 1. I don't have any time for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Sorry. I won't take long. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, from verses 3 to verse 14, you have what is called the bracha, the blessing. It is a Pauline statement that is one sentence. Paul likes to do this. In English, we call it a run-on sentence. In Bible study, we just call it one of Paul's sentences. This is Paul's long sentence, and he's talking about all the blessings we have in Christ because our identity is in Christ Jesus. He gives us the title in verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what do we have in Christ? Every spiritual blessing. What do we have in Christ? Every spiritual blessing. You want to know how you got into Christ? That's what verse 13 and 14 is for. It says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit that is the guarantee of our inheritance. Do you see the ordus de salutis? That's a fancy word for the order of salvation. What happened? In him you also heard the word of truth. You heard the gospel. You with me? The gospel of your salvation. And then what did you do? Believed in him. And then what happened? You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. You believed, you heard, you believed, you were sealed, you're in Christ. And all the promises from 3 to 14, they're all yours. You were invited. You accepted the invitation. You showed up and put on the robe. And you entered in to your master's happiness. Keep in mind, as Jesus is making this declaration before those people, as he's, as he's laying it out before them, he's still talking to the scribes and the Pharisees upon whom he's expecting to find fruit but not finding any. He's focused on those who have rejected. You, you are not accepting the invitation. So that invitation's going to be taken from you and given to another. You see the story? Now here's the point. Many were called. Many, the invitation went to many. But less than that answered the invitation. So many were given the invitation. Few responded to that invitation. And the few that responded are called what? The chosen. So many are called and few are chosen. And we see who were the few? The ones who responded to the invitation. You see both things laid out before us on the pages of Scripture. You see the Lord laying out for us that truth that he wants us to recognize and to see. Look, this is going out. For God so loved. You don't get to take the world out of there. It's the world. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, Jesus Christ became the propitiation for who? 
the whole world. It's crazy. And we, you guys remember when we talked about this before, we talked about, we talked about the, the efficacy of salvation, right? Many were invited, but few were chosen. Few respond to that which the Lord has laid out for us. And so when we look at it, when we see uh, what the scriptures are laying out for us, one of the things that we can recognize is we can see the sovereignty and work of God working, coinciding together with the, uh, the uh, response of man. Man responds. God moves first for certain. God is sovereign, absolutely. Man responds to God's moving. They respond in one of two ways. They receive or they reject. When they receive, they become his chosen. I want you to realize this point, though, as we look at it. I won't get too sidetracked by all that stuff. The chosen are the new tenants. That are going to produce fruit. They might be Jewish. Several of the first thousand will be, right? They may be Jewish, they may be Gentile. Their chosenness does not depend on their birthright. Their chosen does not depend on their race, but rather on their response to God's summons. And their readiness to give God his due. And this applies to both old Israel and those who will be called from the four corners of the earth. Because we all come the same way. Right? Nobody is saved because they're born a Jew. They are saved by faith in Christ. The invitation goes out. The gospel is shared. They respond, believe or reject, become chosen or lost. And the Lord and his name is praised. The story laid out to the scribes and the Pharisees upon their rejection of Messiah. There's another one coming. We'll see that next week, and hopefully we'll start to bring the whole picture to one big, happy understanding. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word, your word being declared, God, your word being believed. Lord, we thank you for the truth as we, we're going to move from this story of the invitation to should we pay taxes? Oh, it's not about taxes. It's about giving unto God that which belongs to God. We're going to be asked about resurrection. Is there a resurrection? How does that really work? What really is happening Lord, you're going to declare there's so much more to the resurrection than these little stories you guys are playing with. 
They're going to say, what is the greatest commandment? And the Lord's going to say that you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then Jesus is going to ask a question. Whose son is the Christ? And they're going to be presented with an opportunity. The end of chapter 22, those same guys who have heard the invitation and been invited, who have killed the people who have come before to the, to the vineyard and have done all those things, those same guys are going to look at the man who says, so whose son is the Christ? And they're, they're going to finally reject him. And in chapter 23, Jesus is going to begin the woes. Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. Today, as we stand in this place, and maybe we're not in the position that the nation of Israel was looking at her Messiah, but we still can apply these same words. The invitation goes forward. The gospel has gone out, and man is presented with that opportunity. Will you come or will you say no? The king in the story of the wedding feast is a sovereign king. He does what he wants to do. And he holds the people responsible for what they do, for the choices that they make. Paul would write to us, now is the time, today is the day. Now is the day of salvation. For the call goes out. The gospel is shared. Jesus Christ is our sin sacrifice. He is that which is able to purge me of my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, to enable me to enter into the wedding supper of the Lamb, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, to stand before God the Father as a child of the King. Scripture tells us that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but through him that world might be saved. So Lord, as we close out, as we go to a time of prayer and everybody goes to their four corners, we head out to lunch and, and gather with family and do the things that this day has laid out before us. I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know you, that they would respond to the call of the invitation. That they would beat their breasts like a tax collector or a prostitute and declare, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as people are gathered around the sanctuary and available for prayer, I pray that they would take that opportunity to go to one of those gathered to be encouraged in the word to be discipled in the way and to walk with our Lord Jesus Christ 
So God, we lay this time before you. We pray as we just end service in a time of prayer that you would bless our time, that you would, Lord, move in the hearts of men and be glorified and magnified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray.